0: This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land.
1: We acknowledge the First Nations and Elders of this country and we join their calls for justice.
0: What's the year I was born in Roman numerals? M. X. M. I don't know. (laughs) Have
1: we started? Is this it?
0: Have we started?
1: Is is this content? Are we making content right now?
0: This isn't content, but... This tweet by Mark Kenny is content that you sent me. This is was this when Max was on Insiders, yeah. So it's yes. like a picture of it's one of those ones that you can clearly see. It's a photo of the television, which I love. <laughs> um, and it says political curio: the first pref margin of the libs Olivia—that's not how you spell Olivia Roberts, surely—but Olivia Roberts over Labor's Terry Butler was a smidge above 1,900 votes in the Qld seat of Griffith. You with me? <laughs> <laughs> So, that okay, saw- <laughs> so it, wasn't, it wasn't
1: even exactly 1900. It was, it no, was a No, That's right. A smidge of okay.
0: wasn't it? Yes. But anyway, but, 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 that saw Labour preferences secure the amazing upset win for the Greens, Max Chandler Mather, MCM, that's Max Chandler Mather's initials if you're not following along, yeah. in Roman numerals equals 1900. <laughs> Can you just imagine? I don't, is Mark married? I don't know who Mark lives with, but like, watching insiders and he's like holy shit lucy lucy 1900 1900 mcm and she's
1: like oh no mark no no she's left she left years ago she's not there oh god look i i i'm a bit torn because you know
0: it's from
1: us we're political nerds like far be it from us to shit on another (laughs) clearly political nerd at least i think we have some interest outside of um, Australian politics, but Jesus Christ.
0: They warn you politics will break your brain, <laughs> but not like, this. <laughs> not like
1: this. It's not even a fact. It's nothing. That is absolutely nothing.
0: No. It's, it doesn't give
1: an insight into anything.
0: It makes me concerned for Mark's well-being. And it's also, it's funny because it's like so deep, like bizarre searching for new information. And then I didn't realise this is the same guy who also wrote an article in the conversation, what like, last week, yeah, mm. this week even, <laughs> called the Labor and the Greens Don't Get Along. Here's why. And it's just like the most basic, it's basically like Labor and the Greens are competing for some of the same voters. <laughs> and you're like, wow, thank you so much, Mark. Thank he's, you so much.
1: He used to be on Insiders all the time. He used to write for Fairfax and he's the ANU, he's like a, politic, like the, a professor in ANU Australian Studies Institute.
0: And his take is? They are competing for some of the same voters and they have policy differences. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so I guess that would. What, I don't, Sorry, I just, the fact that people are getting paid to do this while we are making insightful, funny, original content for free.
1: For free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fucking a hell. fucking disgrace. Come on.
0: <sighs> Talk about the greens. That bunch of idiots.
1: But I just love here that the uh, strip club managers of Melbourne seem to have greater leadership skills than Adam Band ever had. Yeah, Ban for life hard. within one day. <laughs> Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. It's a, it's a, it's a serious danger to Australia. Let's do some political analysis. Let's do some clear sided <laughs> stuff and maybe get some money, for fuck's sake. This is Serious Danger, a podcast about po- uh, green politics in Australia. I'm Tom Ballard. That's everything. I'm Emma There she is. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. Thank you. It is made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. This week we're doing a big roundup of the week's stories from housing to the RBA to Israel-Palestine and everything Mm -hmm. in between.
0: Everything in between, kind of. Not everything. That would be crazy. We'll leave that to Mark. Thank you to our new patrons. Bonzatron 3000, love it, Jack, (laughs) Sarah, Rob, Charles, Liam, Michael, Jordan, and Matthew, if you would like to hear your name spoken from our sweet little mouths, you should become a patron. It's only 3 bucks a month or whatever you want to give above that if you're really sweet and lovely. Uh, And it helps us pay, well, it does simply pay Mike, the Griff Griffin, to produce the show. And you get bonus content every couple of weeks. We put out an episode this week on vaping where we reveal the Greens' secret policy on vaping, (laughs) or at least what we think it probably should be. (laughs) Yeah, God. Uh, Cool interview with Dr Mendelssohn there.
1: Really good, and uh, it's really good feedback. I think lots of people uh, feel very strongly about this stuff. Bonzo 3000 himself, or themselves, I should say, uh, commented on that post. Emerald, thank you so much for doing this interview with Dr Mendelssohn. The major parties, is it in relation to Ben Mendelssohn? Did you find out?
0: Uh, ben Mendelsohn, I don't know who that is.
1: Oh, he's a very fa- he's a famous actor.
0: Oh, I don't know any actors.
1: Okay. The major parties have created and exacerbated a thriving black market of shoddy disposables, and it's frightening that they're happy to throw kids and adult quitters slash vapors under the bus. Chalmers complained about lost tobacco tax revenue back in April, then practically in the next breath said that the government must clamp down on vaping. Maybe my tinfoil hat is too tight and it's <laughs> pinching my brain, but it's hard not to see the same old dodgy connections. Sorry for mm. the jumbo size comment. I just have a lot of feelings, Lol. Never mm. apologize for your feelings, Bonsatron. No.
0: Many feelings about this topic though. It's interesting. And that like the the comments that we've had so far on the very brief clip that we put on social media, I've been like, you should listen to the episode because I guess we tried to have a fairly nuanced discussion about, you know, emerging evidence around harms of vapes mm. and what a harm reduction approach would look like. That sort of thing. I think it's interesting.
1: That's the kind of bonus content you get over at the Serious Danger Patreons. Mm. There's
0: no sense
1: in complaining. It doesn't change our Take me by the hand. Let's compromise.
0: Alrighty. In the news this week, well, I guess about a week ago when this episode comes out, Greens, cowards. Folded, backed down, humiliating back down by Green's housing spokesperson, Max Chandler Mather, on housing, uh, publicly releasing a new offer on the housing bill that chops what we were asking for in half. Kind of
1: humiliating. Pack up yeah. and go home. We've been defeated. <laughs> yeah.
0: So basically, I-, I imagine that this, I don't know if this, if this was announced on Insiders or Max was on Insiders, but it was like around the time you went in- on Insiders, right?
1: No, it was announced sort of just before, and I saw some okay. again crazy Labour MP being like, "Well, well, well, little wonder boy, just had, just being kneecapped by oh, his we'll leader get, before he goes we'll on, on to television."
0: <laughs> we'll get to Don Brown, don't you worry? Oh, is it Don Brown? Um, okay, great. It was, yeah, classic MP Don Brown. So classic right, so MP. Yes. <laughs> classic. Uh, right before Max goes on, insiders the Greens put out a media release saying that they had shifted their position on the housing bill currently before parliament, that we hold the balance of power on and that there is a massive shit fight over. Mm -hmm. And we've said that we will pass the legislation when the Senate next sits, if the government agrees to, one, immediately push for a rent freeze, which would be coordinated by national cabinet, uh, by offering $1 billion a year in extra funding to the states to freeze rent increases. Um, I think that's just, is that slightly reducing the, um, like incentive money that we would give the states in exchange for a rent freeze. I guess that's the shift there, but kind of keeps our key demand of a rent freeze.
1: Right. So it's, it's offering less money to the states to do Potentially. the rent freeze? Okay. I think right. so, yeah. Yep.
0: Um, and the second is a guaranteed minimum spend of $2.5 billion per year on public, community, and affordable housing starting now, so as opposed to the previous demand, which was $5 billion of uh, minimum spending per year. So, yeah, initial thoughts, Tom?
1: Well, yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's hard. It felt a little bit like it came out of nowhere, I suppose, but I guess I, I still don't have any insight into how the actual negotiations are progressing if they're not clear, they're not or it's not going particularly <laughs> well. Um, obviously, yeah, using Max's appearance on the show it was a good opportunity to, to do that and I guess make that clear that they've um, changed their offer. I mean, I think it's. It is an example of the Greens being able to say, "Look, we try to negotiate. We try to, you know, we try to we're being reasonable here. We're making changes. You know, obviously, Mm. we're coming at this from different ways. We're not capitulating entirely. Um, We are changing our demands, but also securing two and a half billion dollars per year in funding for housing would be a still be a massive win. Yeah. So I guess it makes sense.
0: And rent freeze in particular, I think.
1: Yes, totally. Um,
0: Only thinking about it now. So I mean, my take is that I think it is good strategy because mm. it maintains the the integrity of what we're asking for in principle right which is direct spending on housing and a rent freeze and because those are you know the two key criticisms that we've made of what labor has offered is that they have offered nothing for renters yep. and that they're not actually guaranteeing a single cent of of guaranteed um money for housing so so long as we're still pushing for something on two of those things. And I think that we're, yeah, retaining our integrity in the negotiations. Um, and I think, sure, it's significant to reduce the the demand from 5 billion to 2.5 billion. But that's kind of that's what I think is smart about it, right? And mm. I, I would imagine that surely this would have been like on the cards for something that the Greens would have had up their sleeve for some time if Labor refused and refused and refused to move, refused to negotiate, like to simply reduce that dollar amount, that is like the key thing that a lot of people have been focusing on. So it makes it look like we're moving a lot while we're still pushing for the same things. Mm. And then interestingly, literally just now as I'm thinking about it, The fact, the timing of doing it before Max goes on Insiders is so interesting as well. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but that Insiders is, I mean, it's literally in the name. It is very much for the kind of, you know, the political hacks, the political class, people who are really following this stuff closely and who will potentially be more receptive to a uh, Greens reasonableness, like who are the people who need to see the Greens Being reasonable and looking to compromise, um, and who might, yeah, it would resonate with them a little bit more. So I think that that surely is quite deliberate timing.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, Max was well prepared for David Spears' questions about this and uh, Mm. was obviously, yes, coordinated to do so. And yeah, as we say, there's just simply no argument now that the Greens are being um, unrealistic or aren't prepared to uh, change their demands in Mm. light, you know, as a sign of good faith. Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty smart. Now, is it the, is it the party's position that the the fund is still set up, or are we saying that the two point five billion dollars is set up instead of the fund, or does the fund still sort of happen?
0: Mm, no, so I think that it actually because I, I mean the bill is the Housing Australia Future Fund Future Fund Bill, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't really. I think that we would just get nowhere if we were saying that they shouldn't do the fund. Even though I initially thought, yeah, like we were kind of pushing back on the idea of the fund itself, which we are, but I'm pretty sure that the the demand is for that guaranteed minimum spend annually yep. from the fund. Um right. but but at least but I, I'm not sure exactly how that because we do say starting now. So that mm. not having to wait for um it to to make returns. So I'm not sure exactly how they would tweak the like extremely complex legislation to deliver that, but presumably there'd have to be some difference between what Labor is offering now where, um, what was it? Some homes couldn't be built for, yeah, like housing wouldn't be built for years. Mm. There would have to be some sort of tweak to the actual structure of the proposal so that it's, they start purchasing land and, you know, purchasing homes for public and affordable housing straight away. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like framing, using this to frame the Greens as, as the reasonable ones was a pretty, that's pretty clearly what they're trying to do here. And it's kind of, it's almost like we're doing what labor did to us during the safeguard mechanism negotiations where they come out publicly with their, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously their negotiations are happening behind the scenes. And most of the time you don't talk about. That you just hand people secret bits of paper on the floor of Parliament like a normal <laughs> person? No, that's fucked. But <laughs> but that in itself—that's what I mean. It's like that is that was clearly Albanese trying to be like, look, I'm making this offer to the Greens. We're negotiating. It was clearly a stunt, mm. um, and this is kind of a stunt in a way. And the media release that the Greens put out said, if Labor is prepared to negotiate in good faith, we could have this passed in the next parliamentary sitting fortnight. But up until now, they've said they prefer to do nothing until the next federal election rather than meet us halfway. And that's even, yeah, the fact that they're saying re- prefer to do nothing directly goes to that whole argument or that framing of, well, isn't something better than nothing? Yeah. It's like, well, no, they're the ones who want to do nothing. So
1: Yeah, there's no heat on that. I mean, uh, you know, Spears is asking Max, like, are you You know, Max is saying, I can't look people in the eye who have come to my office and I've door knocked around this and say that we didn't try and fight for more when we know mm. what Labor is offering is so much. And David Spears says, can you really look me in the eye and say that they're not going to get anything? And, of course, Greens MPs would be told to go and explain this position to the people who don't have... who who won't have houses uh, thanks to the the Greens' actions. But, yes, almost never is that question reversed uh, upon the government. Uh, The Albanese government said we're prepared to, if if we don't get exactly what we want here, we're prepared to go to the next election um, and campaign on this. So, you know, therefore no houses will be built on our our front either. So it's never really turned around on them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that thing about, yes, sending out Greens MPs to explain this to uh, people in their constituencies, Hmm. Really just seems so out of touch because I think, I mean, in, first of all, it's like you should see, I, I'm, we know that the response from the community has been so positive to what the Greens are fighting for yep. and people really do get that Labor's proposal is shit on a level that clearly is scaring Labor and that's why, you know, they're reacting um, so s- strangely as they do. But, but also, yeah, there's like... Uh, I, 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 that was the, <laughs> the funny thing about that tweet that Don Brown made. So Don Brown, for anyone who doesn't know, is a state MP in Queensland. He's a member for Kapalabar um, and he's just notorious. I think he's a very, he's not a smart man and <laughs> he's a real, I guess, like you could say a head kicker for Queensland Labor, but not really because that kind of implies some level of like power. Mm. <laughs> um, but he will, he's obviously obsessed with the Greens. He spends a lot of time on Twitter making really stupid <laughs> tweets about the Greens. Um, he once, I don't know if we, yeah, we've spoken about Don Brown before and how he tried to like, he raised me in parliament once when I was running for for Bowman because it's right next to his seat or it's like in the same area. Right. Anyway, he's obsessed. What did he say he about twi- you? Sorry.
1: What did he say what about What did he you? say about me?
0: Oh, it was that he met me at a chamber of commerce meeting that I had attended and I'd taken leave from work to attend. But he had gone and he like tabled my email signature, which had my working hours for my like parliamentary funded job. I, or maybe it wasn't even parliamentary funded at the time. Who knows? But anyway, and he was like, aha, you were campaigning on taxpayer time and I don't know, your boss should quit should resign or fire you or I don't know. Um, But obviously I'd I'd taken leave and it was all above board. But I think, yeah, there's like a table document with my email signature and like a photo or a Facebook screenshot of me having attended this event and like the timestamp. (laughs) Really, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He really got full detective. He was going to bring us down.
1: Is Um, this Don Brown or Dan Brown right now? mm, So
0: true. But he tweeted, anyway, back to yeah, his his take on this was this tweet, it he retweeted Adam Bant mm-hmm. uh talking about this shift that we would made in our position on the housing bill. And he said the leader kneecaps max just before hashtag insider's debut. How embarrassing for boy wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, like is it's obviously just such a stupid take, but it's also all these people being like, Don. This really gives more of an insight into how your party treats you as an MP, that you, like, this is how Labor works, that a low-ranking MP, you know, a backbencher like him could be just fucking completely fucked over by your own party, by party leadership, by this, like, small group of powerful people in a party who aren't acting in the interest. You know, they don't do consensus. They don't do grassroots democracy. None of that. They would just be like... This is what you're saying now, or like, go fucking throw them to the walls, whatever. Yes. <laughs> uh, but that's actually not the way that the creeds work. And it makes you kind of be like, oh, how sad, Don. Yeah, I'm really sorry you're a- in a party that would do that to you.
1: They would have a chat, John. It was all, they were all on the same ticket. They knew what was going to happen, mate.
0: They, yeah, they knew. We're the Boy, one you. He knew. Um, He was also having a go in the replies about, well, they can't explain how the rent freeze would work, whether he's he doesn't understand how National Cabinet works or, uh, you know, he seems to think that landlords would have to be compensated. He's like, what? And so when those states wouldn't then have to pay to compensate the landlords. Meanwhile, we know there was, I think, Better Renting tweeted it this week. Uh, This is in The Guardian that. In the past year we've seen rents increase in every capital and the rest of the state of state region except for Canberra where there's been a 1.9% decline. And what do we know about Canberra? They have rent caps. So oh. rent caps fucking work.
1: Interesting. <laughs> yes, I mean again Max was challenged with this with the insiders. He said this has been tried. We know uh, I mean Scotland imposed a rent freeze during the pandemic and New Jersey's also introduced um, mm. rent rent caps and rent freezes. Uh, rent controls, of course, widespread uh, around New York City, famously. Um, yeah, people keep renting, um, but the the rents go down and people don't get evicted because they can't afford it because rents are no, aren't able to be extortionate anymore. It's good.
0: Yeah, there's also clearly like a, a probably deliberate refusal to engage with the actual proposal, which is a temporary emergency rent freeze followed right. by a cap on the amount you can increase the rent by right. that is designed to let us like catch up to, to inflation, or I guess kind of catch up backwards anyway. Uh, and, and then, yeah. So that rents increase in line with inflation, which is like very reasonable and not, you know, something that you should be handing landlords a packet full of cash in compensation for, but not that I don't think labor would do that. Anywho, um, there was also, yeah. And relevant to, you know, not being able to afford a home, that data that was released this week, did you see this about the proportion of um, taxpayers in Australia? Uh, 1% of Australian taxpayers own nearly a quarter of all property investments across the country. This is from new ATO data. Literal 1% owns a quarter of them.
1: (laughs) Good Lord.
0: Uh, And the majority of those... The majority of those are over the age of fifty. So there was kind of, I think there must have been two pieces of data that came out this week. There was that ATO data that showed so fifteen percent of taxpayers are investors, and while just under half of them hold only one property, seven percent of those investors, so one percent of the population um, of the taxpaying population, account for twenty five percent of all property investments, and most of them are over fifty. And then there was this other data that came out from the Property Exchange Australia. Research that showed that in 2022, more than 25% of homes sold in the eastern states were bought without a mortgage by older Australians who've benefited from high property prices and are, to quote the report, basically immune to the effects of rising interest rates. So, (laughs) uh, not those same people who Well, like that same class that we would be arguing, well, we can't freeze rent, so we can't introduce a rent cap Mm. um, because interest rates are going up and it's so unfair and I need to raise my rent by 40% to cover rising interest rates. Um, But we know that a quarter of the fucking investment properties owned by 1% of the fucking population, like a lot of those are older people who sold their home after buying it for fucking cheap, ended up with a bunch of cash, were Mm. able to then buy more properties, With cash, and this proves the exact thing that the Greens have been saying for years, which is that it's our laws and our taxation system are stacked in such a way that it is genuinely easier to buy your sixth investment property than it is to buy your first home.
1: Good Lord. And what was in the data too? 1% of investors hold six or more properties? Mm. God Mm -hmm. damn.
0: Yeah, but it makes you you think like the – For such a small number of people, they said it's about 19 it's 19,895 people. Mm. And yet you so often hear in the media, these stories of investors who, you know, at age 20 got, they have six properties. And so it just makes you realize like how rare, what a small minority those people Mm. are and yet how much fucking power they hold.
1: Would also love to know how many houses they own because, of course, remember that guy that called into Ben Fordham's yeah, house exactly. would be that 1%. He has 283 of the motherfuckers.
0: Yeah. He so, is amongst one of these those 20,000,
1: how many have they got? Yeah, that's that would be mm. interesting. I've said it before one house per person until we all be here the One house per yet. person. No seconds. Perhaps, oh, no seconds until you've finished <laughs> your vegetables or whatever. <laughs> there isn't much that I feel I need solid soul
0: and the blood i bleed and with a little girl and by my spouse i only
1: want a proper house speaking of those interest rate rises. On Tuesday, we had another one, the twelfth interest rate rise in thirteen months. Do you remember when we were blissfully unaware about what interest rates were? I honestly no idea what the fuck they were or how <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, where did they come from?
0: Lives. What do they mean? Why do we care? What do they even yeah, do? I vaguely remember when people when people started like tweeting or you would see articles when interest rates were right would rise. And I'd be mm. like, swipe notification away. <laughs> what do I care?
1: <laughs> Boring. What's Tay Tay up to?
0: Yeah. She split with Maddie Healy. Did you read?
1: Oh, I did hear about that, yes.
0: Thank fuck.
1: You <laughs> didn't like him? No. Is he, who's he? He's the um, 1975.
0: 1975 guy. Okay. Yeah. And there's, I just, ever since someone showed me a, fo- a video of him like sucking an audience member's finger in a way that's meant to be like seductive, I just, I can't think of him with Taylor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Taylor. The cash rate is now at 4.1%. That's the highest it's been in 11 years. It came as a big shock. This, uh, this 12th rise um, to economists and the markets, they all thought things were going to be paused in June. They were totally wrong, sucked in, in your face. It's all about fighting inflation, of course. According to Philip Lowe, the RBA governor, inflation in Australia has passed its peak, but at 7%, it is still too high. And it'll be some time yet before it gets back in the target range. The target range, according to the RBA, is between 2 and 3%, so still quite a way to go. Treasurer Jim Chalmers did his classic, oh, this is really tough. It's going to be really bad. It's going to hurt all these people, mm. but obviously refuses to so anything sad. about it. <laughs> Happy to let working Australians continue to be smashed by the RBA going nuts. And Philip Lowe is warned of more interest rate hikes to come. Right. What do you think, of This Are you looking forward to it? Are you surprised that he's sort of uh, sticking to these terrible, terrible guns and uh, keep ratcheting things up here?
0: No, I'm not. So Simon uh, on Instagram messaged us actually this week just like screenshotting Philip Lloyd being absolutely cursed and said so this man is a Thatcher slash Reagan mold psychopath um, and I said he needs therapy and <laughs> <laughs> like I just, yeah, he. how can you be such a shit person? I guess the answer is when you're getting paid however much that man gets paid. How much again? I don't he's
1: remember. He's on $1,059,761. That was in 2019. So it would be definitely high now. So okay. well, definitely. he could definitely afford
0: bucks. therapy. So I yes, can't. I, I guess, guess he doesn't just need therapy. He needs, I don't know, guillotining, euthanizing, satire. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs>
1: he's it's been a working joke. at the RBA since 1980. He's, of course, appointed and he's not elected. And they have seven year terms as RBA governor. I didn't realize this. Seven goddamn years. Someone is in that. Wait, so job.
0: he's been working there just when he started? I yeah, know, yeah, I think in RBA they often
1: work their way all the way up to the to the board or whatever, and then right. eventually get uh, a aspiration. Governor. They always if, if in, yeah,
0: everyone yeah. just worked hard like Philip, they too could be on a million dollars a year, <laughs> and they could own as many homes as they liked.
1: I should be started in the RBA mail room or whatever.
0: Yeah, must be.
1: Um, Nick McKim, the Greens Treasury spokesperson. Went hard. Once again, the RBA Act gives the government of the day the power to intervene and override the RBA on interest decisions, and that is what they should be doing in this case because, frankly, the RBA has gone rogue. Uh, secondly, what the government should be doing is putting in place things like a corporate super profits tax, a tax on the super wealthy in this country, and use the revenues generated from those taxes to fund genuine cost relief for Australians, wiping student debt, putting dental in Medicare, increasing income support, things that would make a meaningful material difference. In people's day to day lives. Sounds Can good I just, to me, Emerald.
0: Sorry, I'm laughing because I don't know where you have got the text for this and whether it's a transcript from like a radio or TV interview, but it's written as um
1: oh. Oh, a corporate
0: super profits tax and then a tax as in A T T A C K S on yes. the super wealthy. yeah which- I quite like. I mean, I don't, it seems like Nick and I are on the same page here.
1: <laughs> we should unleash a tax on the super wealthy <laughs> via a tax system, yes. Um, so, I mean, yes, I think Nick McKim called this a shocker as well. Um, and the Greens have been calling for intervention since, I think, September of 2022. Basically, again, just trying to raise awareness, I suppose, or just let people know <laughs> that the government does have the power to actually step in under the RBA Act and actually override RBA decisions when it comes to interest rates. Of course, you can't possibly do that, no, because Mm. the uh, economic and political media classes brains are said no. That's the norms. Think about the conventions and the norms. Yeah, we
0: haven't done it, so don't want to.
1: So it's interesting that message we got. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, are people really starting to hate Philip Lowe? I guess he's becoming a bit of a public figure, and people are saying this guy stinks. He's no good. I think he's a very weird dude. There was footage on Channel Seven of him setting up to do a speech, and they were playing Justin Timberlake's "Can't Stop the Feeling" in the background. Philip Lowe knows few are dancing about yesterday's 12th rate rise in 12 months. Oh, great song. A great song, but mm. very odd choice um, for <laughs> him to be getting out there and letting everyone know that your interest rates are going to be ratcheted up once Can't again. stop
0: the interest rate rises.
1: And I guess his ability to communicate or feel like, yes, communicate it anyway, that he actually feels people pain, that he actually mm. can get his head around what these decisions mean. He it's- did mention that there's a lot of household stress at the moment. But he also said that the effects of the rate rises were felt unevenly across the community, including causing significant financial pressure for some households. But this unevenness is not a reason to avoid using the tool that we have. Oh, okay. That's good to know. No. <laughs> he said we shouldn't fall into a state of despair. Australia's got a great economy.
0: <laughs> no, you're just thinking of your own income, Philip. That's, That's
1: what, not. What can I, no. for
0: me? Um, I it's almost like a It's almost like a Mark Zuckerberg kind of. Vibe. Like, yeah, someone who, you know, normally CEOs of tech companies aren't really like thrust into the limelight, as I think normally the RBA governor isn't like thrust. It's not something that they go into expecting Mm. to be a public figure. And then you kind of suddenly find yourself in front of the media and people are seeing you and you're trying to like not be hated by everyone. And the more everyone hates you, kind of the weirder you get. And you're always trying to—I don't know—I just see a lot of parallels. Like, and then you clearly have PR people behind the scenes trying to get you to appear more compassionate and tell you what to say, but you always like kind of fuck it up somehow. And everyone's just like, "Boo, get off the stage!"
1: (laughs) But like in the early '90s, when interest rates were up at 17 percent or what was the RBO governor coming out all the time, sort of saying, "Hey guys, this is good question.
0: Do Do we know who it was? I don't know."
1: no idea no all i remember is paul keating telling people this is a recession we had to have also Mm -hmm. another classic time of being completely out of touch and people despising you quite rightly i think yeah but he's had some particular clunkers of late um and this is the big one that caused a bit of controversy this week if people can cut back spending or in some cases find additional hours of work that would put them back into a positive cash flow position oh my god so people should spend less and just it's, work more. That's a great way to deal with the cost of living crisis that's effective. Isn't that good? It's nice of him to point that out, isn't
0: it? What do you say to that? Like what? I don't even know what you say to that.
1: Well, the particularly crazy thing is like we are in a retail recession right now. People are winding back. People, their demands yes. are stretched extremely hard. But also if people got more work or if unemployment was lower, the RBA would say, oh, that's quite inflationary. We're going to have to jack up those interest rates, I'm afraid, mm. to actually, um, again, pull out some of this demand in the economy because people are actually mm. working too much and unemployment is too low and that's going to, yeah. you know, maintain inflation, you fucking and, assholes.
0: Oh, fuck, I've lost the article now. But there was, you know, in the last month or so there was that that article or a bit of reporting around spending habits and the fact that particularly young people who are getting who are more hard hit by this cost-of-living crisis and the rental crisis um, had reined in their spending and whereas like the the, <laughs> the spending increases were coming from wealthy older people, from boomers right. who had yes. like increased their discretionary spending. And right. so yet again, like we know that it's a fucking myth, but again and again, yeah, the data does not bear out this idea that young people and poor people are just being like profligate and... You know, they just need to manage their finances better. Um, and, yeah, get an extra shift. Like, are you fucking kidding me, cunt? I just, yeah.
1: He should not be the guy out there. If you're on a million dollars, yeah, no one wants to hear from you right now.
0: No. Oh, my God.
1: Another story here, pretty crazy. The Reserve Bank spent nearly $25,000 of taxpayers' money on an exclusive dinner for Perth's business elite, hours after raising the cash rate last oh month for the 11th God. time, according to a report. Freedom of Information documents this. obtained by the West Australian reveal the total bill for the dinner at Fraser's Kings Park, held, held hours after the RBA's May 2 board meeting, where it lifted oh. the cash rate to 3.85%, came in at 24 grand. According to the West Australian, the dinner was attended by 140 VIP guests. WA Premier Mark McGowan, of course, Liberal leader Libby Medham, and executives from companies including Fortescue, Hancock Prospecting, BHP and Rio Tinto. Dr Lowe was reportedly asked on the night about the optics of having an exclusive dinner, even as many Australians were having to cut back, responding, we're here in Perth having this fabulous dinner because it's really important we get out <laughs> and mix with people. Hear oh from community God, leaders, no. hear from business leaders, hear from people in the NGO sector.
0: No. <laughs> Dig up, stupid! <laughs> oh. oh my god! Oh, is so. Is this something that the RBA would have paid for, or is this like a you buy your ticket type thing?
1: Well, no. I guess they they, they, they provide the they catering. The RBA is taxpayer funded, so yeah, that is taxpayer's money spent on hosting a dinner with people like
0: Fabulous uh, Fortescue
1: dinner. Oh. Hancock, a fabulous dinner. Hancock Prospect owned by the richest woman in this country who apparently can't pay for their own fucking food. <laughs> and then, of course, last week we had him talking about the rental crisis um, and he's saying the vacancy the- rates in to be very low and there are a few things that have contributed oh. to that. He said that the pandemic meant that people wanted more space at home. Okay, this is his theory, and so that's increased the demand for the total number of dwellings. He proposed the only way to fix the crisis was to continue raising rents and house prices, which he said would act as a deterrent for people wanting to move out from their parents' house or live alone. The higher prices do lead people to economise on housing, don't they? Kids don't move out of home because the rent is too expensive. You decide to get a flatmate or a housemate. We oh need more people on average to live in each dwelling, and prices do that. Mm, Works, babe. How many housemates do you
0: have, Philip? I was really glad that Max addressed this on. Yep. He, it was on insiders, right? Because yes. I have to admit, even I, when I started seeing, yeah, like there's been a bit of reporting over the last, I don't know, six months or so about increasing numbers of like falling um, head per dwelling mm. numbers and more people living alone. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I remember having this kind of. Like a, a philosophical discussion with a few of my comrades, and being like, "Do you think that there is, you know, in in a housing crisis, like any kind of ideological imperative to?" Um, to to share house, like if you can, you know, if if you don't have communes. family, if let's go communes,
1: if, everyone. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's a question because because I'm like, well, I live alone. Like, am I?
1: Wow, I don't. Know, am horting, I? Am I making space. the housing crisis
0: worse? <laughs> 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 um, I really like living alone. I don't want to live with people. I'm really lucky. Anyway, See,
1: I have a housemate mm, slash so tenant. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm healthy. Uh,
0: but but I think. Max pointed out that a lot of this was simply smaller families. So yes. people have fewer children and like right. the most significant drop in yeah the numbers of people for household per household is children. So getting a housemate isn't exactly the solution. No. Like it's actually just complete bullshit. And so I was like I should have known. That you know, yeah, this this very convenient kind of stat that was would obviously be seized on up, seized upon by people looking for an explanation for the housing crisis that isn't just greedy property investors are charging you more rent. Yeah. That um, yeah, there was actually another angle to look at this from.
1: Another big hit to the RBA's credibility when it comes to economics this week. The OECD released. research confirming what we uh, already know and have been talking about for months and months that inflation in the Australian economy right now is overwhelmingly because of corporate profits greed inflation baby Inflation. according to the OECD almost all of the inflation in March quarter of last year which saw the largest three-month rise in inflation in more than three decades was because of company profits now back in February the progressive, non-partisan, but quite greens-friendly think tank, the Australian Institute, published a report finding exactly the same thing. You might remember sixty-nine percent of nice. Uh, inflation, nice, uh, due to corporate profits. According to that report, this was this was an outrage. It was ridiculous. It was crazy economics, crazy nomics mm. from mm. the left wing and the greenies. It was rejected by the RBA, by Treasury, and by all major Those economists. Guys didn't like it? Yeah, it's so weird.
0: They rejected it, and
1: they're always right with all their predictions and projections. So it's so kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Some people called for a formal retraction of this research. They said this is such a disgrace, it's distorting back. the public. Stop. Conversation.
0: <laughs> Don't take it back.
1: The Australian Institute said no backsies, <laughs> <laughs> and even now the RBA is still saying there are no signs of a profits price spiral. Lowe is still justifying hiking interest rates because he's worried about wages getting too high. Mm.
0: The Australian Chamber
1: of Commerce. I'm worried interest- about
0: someone, one person in particular, 's wages being too high. <laughs> uh, but. <laughs>
1: I guess, yeah. yeah. I guess we could have a discussion about
0: that. Yeah.
1: Um, the Australian Chamber of Commerce, of course, blamed the re- the interest rate hike on inflation perpetuated by the Fair Work raising the minimum wage by 5.75%, which is still below inflation. Hmm. But, yes, look, the OECD, very well-respected organisation with good economic data, headed up by Matthias Coleman, who presumably couldn't even spark oh, yeah. this, uh, this research. He cut it. <laughs>
0: It has been a while since I've heard from Matthias Corman. <laughs> is that good?
1: <laughs> I I think it's really good, and I liked it.
0: <laughs> Great! They come rations. out and confirm these
1: these same findings, which is the big uh, problem. I mean, ComBank posted a half-year profit of five point one five billion dollars. That is a record profit, and I think this is a particularly crazy mm-hmm. thing when you talk about corporate uh, corporate profits fueled inflation, interest rate hikes, which is designed to beat inflation. Leads to record profits for the big banks. Okay, the yeah. big banks get heaps of money from interest rates, which means more money in the pockets mm. of shareholders of banks, mm. which in turn fuels ding, ding, inflation. Ding. Yeah, isn't that like an insane little merry-go-round mm. that we're on there? Mm. Hmm. And but, again, just underlining, yeah. Alison Pennington said it on the show: inflation. Shit, this is all class war. The independence of the RVA is bullshit. It's non-existent. These are political actors. Economics is political. All of these are political decisions based around ideology and priorities, and it is the rich people at the top and people who earn a million dollars like RBA governor Philip Lowe waging war on poor and working people. Yeah,
0: because, yeah, that's right, because we have a choice. We do have a choice to, you know, there are paths, two paths before you to address inflation, and one specifically targets poor people, people with debt, um, and one targets people who... Fucking shareholders, super wealthy Mm. corporations who are driving prices up by through their greed. uh, And we are, you know, guess which fucking path our government and the RBA are going to choose?
1: Yeah. The government could intervene. That would that, that that's about democratic control over the economy, which we like mm-hmm. as democratic socialists. We think that's really good. good that's thing. what we're going for. And yeah. the democratic socialists and the Labor Party should be calling for such a thing too. You could also <laughs> seriously reform, democratise the RBA, make it elected position, put workers' representatives on the RBA governor board, make the RBA talk to actually like talk to NGOs, not at a fucking dinner where they where they're paying twenty five grand for food, like, actually engage with people who work with the homeless people who are trying to do something about uh, the way the working class is getting fucked over, actually mm-hmm. let them have a say on these kind of economic decisions too as well. But Is that a thing,
0: that is that Green's radical. policy around like democratising the RBA? Is that something we've spoken about?
1: I think, I think McKim's definitely endorsed the idea of having workers' representatives, like a like union's yeah, representative. I think yeah. that, that's certainly been part of it. I don't think that's a recommendation of the review from what I can remember or whether that's still coming out or whatever. But, uh, yeah, all of that, of course, is too, too radically a departure from the vision of uh, Jim Chalmers, that's for sure. Mm. Although Jim Chalmers' hero, Paul Keating, did once threaten to intervene, um, I think, potentially during the 90s, during that recession, when the RBO was making these same kind of rate hikes, eventually, you know, raised the possibility the government might step in and do something about uh, out of mm. the hikes. So, again, far too uh, far too spicy for Jimmy Boy.
0: Mm. I was trying to think of the way that, Paul Keating would threaten something like that if, if you don't bloody pull the plug out of your brain bath of of inflation and rate hikes, I swear to God, I'm going to step in there naked and <laughs> <laughs> full do
1: you slowly just <laughs> say do you slowly <laughs> with
0: piss and do you slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, that's yeah, pretty Keating. good. Yeah,
1: I prefer you, Matthias, but that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. We're back on it. story this week last weekend the greens national conference passed an updated resolution on israel and palestine there's been a little bit of media coverage around this did you you weren't at national conference were you Tom?
1: i didn't make it no i was in Wagga and albury in albury eating the biggest chicken parmigiana i've ever seen in my entire fucking life oh. and doing jokes to people who got offended about my uh jokes about the queen so I was, I was busy. Sorry, comrades. Jokes.
0: What do people get? Jokes about what? The queen. Oh. Ooh. How it's
1: funny that she's dead.
0: Yeah. Well, it is funny to be fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what's not funny? Apartheid. Oh yeah. Cut that out. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my segue. Uh, so the Greens passed this new, com- this new resolution. Uh, I think the key things that the resolution does, because it changes a bunch of things around the Greens' position on Israel and Palestine, Um, but it says that Israel is practising apartheid. It says that Israel's occupation of Palestine has or is rendering a two-state solution impossible, which is a significant shift from uh, our previous position, which was in support of a a two-state solution or kind of just seeing that as the goal for now. Uh, It it recognises Palestine's right to self-determination under the UN Charter. It and the the media release accompanying, you know, the media release that came out when we approved this this new position specifically says it doesn't endorse the official BDS movement, boycott, divestment and sanctions, Mm. but it does back the use of targeted boycotts, divestments and sanctions that are human rights aligned. So... Yeah. Uh, one of the boycott, divestment and sanction tactics that are specifically called for in this resolution and that the Greens have kind of been focusing on is to boycott meetings with far-right ministers. And I think they called out two particular ministers, so Israel's Minister for National Security, Itamar ben Uh He's been convicted on numerous charges, including supporting a terrorist organisation and incitement to racism and then the second he, one is.
1: He, sorry, yeah. He's also one who's like, I am far right. <laughs> oh, he says he, that. I don't like, yeah, ha- have have know like, anything about this Yeah, Ben Gavir is just like, yeah, just across the board, he's just be like, I am. <laughs> will-
0: That's awesome. He's, he really
1: knows himself and he's living his truth, mm. I suppose, as yeah. the National Security Minister and is totally yeah, up for apartheid it, and but- genocide. He's, he's totally on board with it, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of being up front, the other one that they called out is Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich who has publicly said that a Palestinian village should be, quote, wiped out. Yep. Uh, so the Greens are saying maybe don't meet with these guys. Seems fucking reasonable. Uh, maybe don't deal with them anymore. Mm. And they also called for Magnitsky-style sanctions, uh, which I had to look up what Magnitsky meant, and it just means stuff like freezing their assets, so like financial sanctions, like freezing assets and refusing entry. Um, Actually, should have looked up where Magnitsky comes from. Do you know?
1: Yeah, that was part of um, sanctions imposed on Russia. I believe Magnitsky was a guy who was murdered, found to be murdered by the state, and a friend of his campaigned for, yeah, the kind of sanction program that the US has imposed on Russian oligarchs, I believe, off the top of my head. Yeah. So yeah, would, okay. would would this endorsement sort of? It, it seemed like they the Greens' position doesn't endorse like cultural boycotts or feels like doesn't want to get involved in in those kind of questions, right? Like I guess. artists touring to Israel or like the kind of things that would have come up during the Sydney Festival and, and the boycott mm. that happened
0: there. It's a good question. I mean, and maybe I would know more if I was at a national conference and probably mm-hmm. members who were involved in what I understand was probably quite a long, um, you know, process of. Uh, consensus building leading up to passing this motion would know more about the details, but I suspect, yeah, like maybe that is part of it that it's more about when they say we support targeted boycotts, divestments, and and sanctions that and and giving giving this specific example around meeting with these ministers and um yeah that kind of I guess would point to the sorts of BDS actions that we are supporting. I don't know whether that means to the exclusion of. Kind of cultural sanctions. Yeah, uh, good question.
1: And and I think it's important to clarify that you know it, it is not a um a, a simple matter. That is, some consideration should be given to the idea that the Greens make it clear that we don't endorse a program of boycotting any Jewish business or any Israeli business mm. necessarily. Um, you know that is when I think there are you can make some very Clear arguments of people making anti-Semitic actions, being assuming that any Jewish person is supportive of or representative of the state of Israel or what you like, you know, you can understand why there is some some tricky territory in this. As I'm sure we'll get to lots of accusations of anti-Semitism being wheeled out in bad faith around this uh, particular topic. But I, I guess I can understand a level of nuance when it comes to clarifying, you know, which kind of boycotts and actions that the party endorses.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean, as with other all Greens policies and resolutions like this, a lot of it is designed to be broad enough that, you know, I think it would be intentional that we've used the word targeted so that you can kind of use that to uh, apply to a range of things. And there's a bit of flexibility there, I would say. I mean, do you know anything more about kind of the path leading up to this resolution passing? Because I hadn't followed it, but I do know that when like this has obviously been a contentious and difficult issue for the party in the past and I think right. even like 20 years ago like in the early 2000s uh when our when we were developing our position on Israel and Palestine I think it was very messy I think it was like there was a lot of internal conflict over it mm. um and I, I would say that probably a lot of people were not happy with the result and there have been people who have been unhappy with our position on Palestine for some time.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, again, around that history, is like the one critique is, is the relevance, I suppose, of an Israel-Palestine position or the importance or the emphasis, the, the prioritising of questions around Israel-Palestine, whether some people raise questions about whether that's important, particularly when it's <laughs> emerged at the local council level, uh, for example, mm. which is a very famous case in 2011. I'm not sure if you want to talk about that.
0: But, no, um, what I- happened in 2011?
1: Oh, it was a Greens-led council in, um, I-, I want to say in the inner west in Sydney, and it was maybe a Greens mayor who was trying to Get their local council to boycott Israeli products. I suppose in 2011, and, this, and Bob Brown did not support the position of that. And it was one mm. of those sort of classy old stupid Greens, you know, prioritising on the wrong things. What you know, don't be silly. What are you talking about? What is a local council? That, you know, want to get involved with the politics of the Middle East, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, um, I mean, the broader context here, leading up to this position, is is just how much things have changed, and how leading human rights organisations like Amnesty International, like Human Rights Watch, like Israeli organizations like B'Tselem have released reports definitively laying out that the state of Israel is operating a system of apartheid. Yeah. And while that yeah. was a very controversial subject obviously still fiercely resisted by the Israeli lobby these days and people who support Israel, you know, the the evidence and the position of those very well respected human rights organizations is now undeniable and you know, as we stand in solidarity with Palestinians recognizing that that clear fact of the situation on the ground is is the decent thing
0: to do. Yeah, and I think that the greens have acknowledged that like those organizations have I guess varying views on the extent to which the crime of apartheid is occurring, but they yes. all agree that it's occurring. Yes. Um and you know, there are examples of specifically what that means or how they come to that conclusion about uh Palestinian people's uh, ability to participate in elections um or their freedom of movement where Israeli citizens have Free movement around um, the whole area controlled by Israel, except the Gaza Strip, whereas Palestinian people require a specific, a special, like permit to travel between um, between areas. Or there's, you know, there's land confiscation. Mm. There's, I'm looking at a, a whole list, you know, yeah, yeah, around land citizenship, freedom of movement, and political participation in particular. Mm. That I think are kind of the the characteristics or the categories that they, they look at and they go, well, based on what's happening in these areas, the crime of apartheid is being committed. Where, but we know that Labor doesn't agree. And, you know, Penny Wong, Foreign Affairs Minister, has... Wait, is she actually... Yeah, Penny Wong's Foreign Affairs, right? Of course, mm-hmm. Yes, she is. Has specifically rejected the word apartheid, um, Labor. You know, the Australian government's position is still they they oppose settlement activities in Palestinian territories broadly uh they support a two state solution but they don't say that apartheid is happening they say they will continue to engage with members of the israeli government as appropriate and necessary um they and and one of the other areas of disagreement that comes up as a result of this resolution that's just been passed the other thing that the greens have done is reject the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism, saying that it basically conflates criticism of the state of Israel with anti-Semitism, whereas Labor specifically supports that definition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a long evolving controversy around this definition, the IHRA's definition, particularly played out in British politics with the Mm. anti-Semitism scandal, Uh, slash furor slash occasional blow up slash bullshit shit show that occurred under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and the way that Accusations of anti-Semitism were weaponized, continue to be weaponized to basically purge the left in the UK Labor Party and this, this huge pressure to be like, you know, accept this definition. This definition proves that you're serious about tackling anti-Semitism. Mm. Whereas, once again, human rights organizations like Amnesty International, like Humans Rights Watch, have said, no, we can't support this definition and they've called on the UN to reject that definition because it will they, they have serious concerns that it would suppress legitimate criticism of the state of Israel. Um, and conflate that with uh, anti-Semitism, with hatred of the Jewish people. Um, yeah. There are alternatives. They've outlined alternatives of like other definitions that make that make those allowances and stuff. So it's not like they're saying, no, not this. They're interested in um, determining a internationally recognised definition of anti-Semitism but not at the cost of suppressing free and important political speech.
0: Yeah, and apparently even one of the people who was involved in drafting that definition has yeah. since explicitly come out and said, that it has been used to silence speech and yep. like is not appropriate any longer. But, you know, the response from, um, from people like the Australian juries or the executive council of Australian jury, uh, the co VCEO, Peter Wertheim told J the Greens' rejection of IHRA is an insult to our intelligence mm. and a transparently self serving attempt to create as much space as possible for anti Zionist forms of anti Semitism. So, not, uh, not backwards in coming forward there. Like, pretty fucking <laughs> strong. Uh, anti Zionist
1: the- forms of anti Semitism. Okay. Yes. I guess well, the in- anti Zionist exactly is the right? same. Right? So, you, yes. Right. That's exactly You're what the I'm saying. Say the part out loud there, Vita. Come on, mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that, like, I mean, predictably the response from both the, the Zionist Federation of Australia and the Australia-Israel and Jewish Affairs Council, they issued statements immediately. Long-time saying,
1: Green supporters. I mean, I'm just I'm really supporters. worried we're going to lose a lot of Green I know, so sad from these organisations.
0: But, yeah, saying that Greens are anti-Semitic, um, even accusing them of extremism, mm. pretty, yeah, it's, Like, like I said, I mean, clearly this is such a long running point of political conflict. And I think people who've been in the Greens for a long time would have seen so many intense internal debates about this. And I I was trying to look up a little bit more about it. I, apparently in 2014 candidates had like, so Janet Rice was booed at a pro-Palestine rally um and this greens candidate in brisbane actually who was a, a candidate in Indrapilli, had a shoe thrown at him at, while he was speaking at one of these rallies oh wow there's because our our policy wasn't strong enough and right. so i mean it sounds like this guy so the this candidate in um 2014 He was not only, I'm reading from this new Matilda article, he was not only drowned out by protesters but had a shoe thrown at him after refusing to hand over the microphone. He had the crowd offside almost from the outset after noting that both sides of the conflict should be condemned. His opening remarks Mm. drew howls of protest from the thousand-strong crowd and things pretty much went downhill from there. Um, He said, I'm going to say something unpopular here. And... Mm. (laughs) I'd like to note that Hamas's actions in the recent conflict were also condemned by the u n He said before being drowned out by protesters, undeterred, he did what some people with a microphone unfortunately do when confronted with growing dissent. He began shouting, <laughs> <laughs> but it should also be noted that I don't believe Hamas's actions speak for all Palestinians. He yelled Thanks, back mate. at protesters, more booze from the crowd, he plowed on, blah blah blah, um, and then, yeah, I think his His microphone was shut off uh he had a a shoe thrown at him, but i mean look, when he was interviewed he after win? this <laughs> yeah no he he certainly did not win um we won that area later okay. <laughs> with All a right. different okay. candidate um, <laughs> but 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 like as i mean to his credit, like to be fair to him, as he said, he was speaking consistent with what the greens policy was at the time, and it kind of goes to how our policy like how the party has progressed on this Mm. issue i think and even i mean i do know i think it was interesting because there were people who were specifically talking about the fact that our policy doesn't say anything about hamas um in our israel palestine kind of position Mm. and so that was one of the issues is that is that they're like well you're not recognize that you actually don't recognize the pal- Palestinian people's right to resist i guess is is the argument right. and i i know i think in an in an earlier in one version of the proposal that was going to go to national conference on this issue it specifically did mention hamas it said uh, that we would call on the Australian government to halt military cooperation and military trade with Israel and instead augment their diplomatic activity with the Israeli government, Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, as well as with Australia's allies, to assist assist in the revival of the peace process. Mm. But that's not in the version that was ultimately passed. So there's no reference to Hamas, but there is a recognition of the right to resist but I think it's, yeah, like the the language is slightly softer. So it kind of, it, it talks about condemning all violence first. It says, reject and condemn all forms of violence, especially against civilians, whether perpetrated by a state, organizations, or individuals, while recognizing the right of the Palestinian people to resist Israeli occupation in accordance with international law. Oh, Okay. So, I mean, but it's kind of a, and maybe I'm getting too much into the weeds now. This is like Greens nerd, political nerd shit, but Mm. it's an interesting exercise in the process of consensus Mm decision-making to look at what was put forward. And obviously through through multiple workshops and I imagine long discussions, what the party ended up coming to.
1: Yeah. No, that is interesting. Mm. And again, I think we should cover, not. Not that I think either of us would claim to be any experts in this area whatsoever, but it is just really important to underline why why some people might think, oh well, you know, why not condemn violence on both sides if violence is bad? Mm. And you know what? You know, obviously there are some terrible things being committed by either Hamas themselves or people who support Hamas, or et cetera. Et cetera. But I think again, just to underline that one of these this is not a this is not a fair fight this is this, there is an yeah. asymmetry of power here one of these yeah. powers is occupying the other it's a legal an illegal occupation mm. a, recognized by international law um, yeah it's uh, it's really chalk and cheese and uh, the idea that that the both parties are equally responsible or should be equally condemned or that we have any path towards peace by holding each um, or dismissing this conflict as this as two people just simply can't get along is simply yeah. not a recognition with the actual state of things on the ground. And that that's why, you know, people who stand in solidarity with Palestine make it very clear that, yeah, this false equivalency between the two powers that's just right. cannot be allowed to stand.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just not the same. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, like, I I think this is a positive step forward for the party. It's yep. one of those... Moments where I feel proud to be in the greens, I guess yeah. particularly as opposed to other parties um, and I think that we are are moving you know as we kind of like to be I guess moving in the direction that the general public clearly is mm. um, and continues to move, and we know that from polling on. Australian uh support for Palestine there. i mean granted I don't know the oh this is YouGov polling
1: It is YouGov yes yeah. so this is a it poll is that, YouGov, you know yeah. the um, um Australian Palestinian uh Palestinian advocacy network APAN, which is obviously an advocacy network for the rights of, uh, of Palestinians mm. and the state and, and recognition of the state of Palestine but they're citing a YouGov poll yeah. which shows some very clear either majority support or at least 50% of people support for things like you know, saying that Israel should immediately end its occupation of mm. Palestine. Israel and Egypt should immediately end or continue their siege of Gaza. Fifty-six percent people, people say it should end. You know, people want good things for the Palestinian people, and, yeah. and more and more, this this consensus of sympathy for Israel is is being chipped away at because people yeah. are understanding, getting better understanding of the truth and the history.
0: Yeah, even forty-nine percent for boycotts, um, yeah. support for boycotts. I thought was was quite interesting, and fifty-four percent for Palestinian statehood. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, once again, I I wouldn't be I I guess you know if the question is oh do we think that this is really going to damage Australia's sorry the Greens' credibility particularly with the Jewish community as you might believe if you look at the statements for example from yeah those groups like the Zionist Federation of, of Australia mm. and I just I just don't necessarily think so.
1: No, I mean, I, well, again, we also really need to resist the idea that that those. Groups truly do speak for exactly. all Jewish people. I mean, you know, yeah. gr- groups like Jewish Voices for Peace. Um, yeah. There are, there are, there are. You know, the the New Israel Fund is a more progressive um, Jewish organisation, that's for sure. That has, you know, admitted to or does recognise the state of Israel operating systems of apartheid in the occupied territories. You know, we might have some disagreements, I think, generally, but but um, the NIF in Australia has has worked with, I think, the, the Greens before and has a decent dialogue there. Yeah, there are lots of people, lots of Jews. Mm. Um, both in Israel and across the world, who who you know believe in safety and freedom for Jewish people, yes, yeah. but also extend that same um, those same rights to to everybody.
0: Yeah, and it's worth noting that this the resolution that that passed at national conference was drafted in collaboration with both Greens for Palestine and Jewish Greens. Great working groups. So really good stuff.
1: There is a great piece from Anti Lowenstein, which I reckon people should check mm. out. He's got a great new book out as well. Uh, he, he wrote the, a piece for Crikey about the Greens' position. Um, what was interesting in there too was this idea that there are there seems to be some lobbying efforts on the Alawadi government to not follow through with their policy position uh, to recognise the state of Palestine, right? Because oh, yeah. this is... this, this, this be the death knell for peace if Australia did what they said they would do and recognise the state of Palestine—a very basic thing that that you know dozens and dozens and dozens of other countries around the world have have done and that they said they would do. Um, so those lobbying efforts are in force, and it's with the Greens making positions like this and making their statements and their level of support clear um, that also should be used to pressure the Albanese government to do what they said they would do and recognise Palestine, which is a decent thing to do.
0: It is. It's not just about 9-11. What, does it make you uncomfortable at all? Because it's not just that. They're accused of financing terrorism. They also are accused of killing a Washington Post reporter, Jamal Khashoggi. How do you feel knowing that that is where the money is backed by? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's unfortunate what has happened. And that's something I cannot necessarily speak on as I'm a golfer. But what I can say is that um, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to work on, is is to be better allies because we are allies with them. And, and look, I'm not going to get into the politics of it. I'm not specialized in that. But what I can say is they are trying to do good for the world and showcase themselves in a light that hasn't been seen in a while. And nobody's perfect, but we're all trying to improve in life. Yeah,
1: a little bit of call to action here, uh, particularly if you're in Sydney. I mean, anyone can help out, but if you're in Sydney, you can get totally involved. Some absolute legends and comrades from the Action for Public Housing group in Sydney are currently, as we speak, occupying. Public housing to say, don't kick out people out of this public housing, please. There's a housing crisis going on. Please don't oh, yeah. privatise it. Don't demolish it. That would be really bad. Um, it's happening at 82 Wentworth Park Road. Shout-outs to Kristen O'Connell, friends of the show, who let me know about this and gives the heads up. Um, they were going to relocate a public housing tenant, Carolyn. Uh, there are homes sitting vacant in there. There's a housing crisis, for God's sake. They are occupying these places and demanding. There is no privatisation of these properties, no demolition. And that all empty dwellings to be immediately filled with people on the public housing waiting list seems pretty fucking reasonable to me. What do
0: they want to demolish? What do they want to put there after they demolish it?
1: I don't know. I I, I don't know. Look, I assume it's the yeah. classic. Oh, there'll be social affordable housing. A certain propulsion of, the mix of that quote will be affordable with
0: it. housing, which you know yes. isn't defined, or it's like still. Yeah, far more than anyone can actually afford based on market rents, something like that. Yeah.
1: No good. Yes, and the government should hang on to as much housing as it can. It, should, it certainly shouldn't uh, be selling yeah. it off. Guys, we'll we rid need to of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Action Public Housing have a Substack which you can follow along, get updates on the Action. Um, we'll put the link to that there. There's also a donation link uh, via Stripe for stuff like it's a, it's a mutual aid fund, so for you know, coffees, for food, for basic needs, for people while they're occupying Those houses. If you have some spare cash and you're in position to help them out, then check out that link in the show notes, please.
0: Thanks, guys and girls and days and all of our beautiful friends out there. (laughs) Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening now, Um, another cool thing. I I mean, maybe we've said this before. If you want to help the show. I think one of the best ways to do that is just to talk about it or when people are looking for podcast recommendations, say Serious Danger, make it the first thing that you recommend. Um, just leave your phone unlocked on the Serious Danger like podcast on public transport and kind mm-hmm. of face it out towards other people a little bit.
1: Take your okay. headphones out while listening to the podcast on public yeah. transport and blast Serious <laughs> Danger to the whole carriage.
0: Force people to listen to it in the car. Yeah. Um, connect it to the Bluetooth speaker in a shared living space in your share house. I don't know. All of this and more. <laughs> Just get the word out.
1: Get the word out. That'd be great. <laughs>
0: um, you can also do that by following us on social media at SeriousDangerAU on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, and like liking and engaging with and sharing the stuff that we post there. That also helps spread the word. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at hello at SeriousDangerPod.com. You can find all the info about the Patreon and all of our links and stuff like that at SeriousDangerPod.com. Thanks, team. See you next week. Bye. This is, this is, this is serious danger Australia.